Morning. How are you doing? I always ask before I begin, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Oh, that's not convincing. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Sounds much better. I am happy. Just, just uh, this, uh, I think maybe it was about a day or two ago, I looked in the mirror and realized that there was a huge difference. <laughs> I am, um, it's summer, and I, I don't know why I keep talking about the weather in Michigan. I guess I really appreciate the weather. But I realized that I got a tan. Isn't that something? It's a blessing. It's the blessing of camp meeting. We were just there at camp meeting, and um, one thing I really appreciate about the Michigan conference is that they do put us to work as pastors. We got to do some physical labors out in the sunshine, and so I came back with a tan. So I am very, very appreciative of that. This morning, our text comes from Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. Our reading this week was a rather interesting reading because we found ourselves in the book of Hosea, books of Hosea, and then also the book of Amos. These books seem to express a challenging time that God had with his people. It seems that there, was, there were more rebukes than ever before. God's people were just not doing so well, and so these books are important for us to consider this morning. Before I begin, let us just have a word of prayer. I'm going to kneel. I ask that you bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we get to come before you in this fashion. We come, Lord, as learners wanting to be taught by no one else but you. We ask you, Father, that in this service that your Holy Spirit may draw near and, 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 and tailor make this message for all of us as we pray that you speak to our hearts individually. We pray and ask you, Lord, that you may continue to guide us and we, we also think about those wonderful people that we love who we prayed for earlier, thinking of John who had experienced that accident and, and Killian who's having health challenges. And we pray, Lord, that you be with all of us, especially now, because we really, really need you. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you continue to pour out, pour out on us, even though we don't deserve them. And we now come before you asking that you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Broken relationships. Broken relationships. I, I ran across an article in Psychology Today that seems to summarize the idea of, of broken relationships. And, and they say that there are some principal signs to look for when it comes to broken relationships. They say that a broken relationship at times can experience multiple breakups. That is, you break off the relationship, but then somehow you get back together. Most of us have, have experienced heartbreaks, and most of us have had friends or still have friends who might be in broken relationships, and we see they break up and they get back together, and we try to convince them this is it, let it go, but then two weeks later, again, 
they're in that relationship. They say that that's one of the signs. Another sign that this article suggested was that often both parties consider the value of their relationship to be simply what they can get out of it. In other words, I'm in this relationship simply because what you can provide for me, but nothing else. I have nothing to offer, but I have all to gain. That is, I appreciate all the gifts, the money, the sex, other benefits, all while not caring for the individual. It's not based on love, but simply self-gratification, broken relationships. Another point was that broken relationships tend to convey the idea of the feeling of out of sight, out of mind. In other words, when there's proximity, you're in the, the, the person's presence, everything is all well and good. But the moment you leave, there are no phone calls, no notes, no letters. It seems as if you do not exist to them. Then there's the issue of stonewalling, they say, where you don't talk about important issues, where the moment you bring up things that are important, such as children or where to live or the house or family issues and, and so on, it seems that you're not allowed to discuss these important things, and so you are stonewalled, especially when it comes to talking about areas of long-term commitment, broken relationships. And lastly, they say that a broken relationship often involves cheating, one or both parties cheating on each other. The book of Hosea outlines to us a broken relationship. And if a psychologist were to examine this book in the book of Hosea, you'd find that Hosea himself was involved in a broken relationship. One with Gomer. God had asked him to take a wife. A wife, and the Bible uses the word of whoredom. Gomer was Hosea's wife. There were moments of breakups and moments where they got back together. There are moments where it seemed like Hosea would have given everything possible to Gomer, but yet still the response was not a response of love because she often went back to her lovers. It seems that the moment Gomer left home, Hosea was no longer important. But you see, the book of Hosea teaches a more powerful lesson than than it is when it comes to broken relationships, at least the one with Gomer and Hosea. Because Hosea teaches a broken relationship between God and his people. And so God had experienced what it's like to, to be neglected, to feel out of sight, out of mind. God had blessed his people tremendously, and they had, they had excelled, and, and finally they get to the point where all of a sudden they forget who God is. And so no phone calls, no prayer. They didn't read the word of God, no communication, no conversation. And the moment God spoke about commitment, they, they ran away because they were in this broken relationship with God. In Hosea's case, it was Gomer. In God's case, it was his own people. I was in college, and I was in my bed when I got a phone call one morning. The time was about 4 a.m. I was still groggy. It was a long day previous, and I was very tired, but I knew the phone call was important, so I decided to take it. 
The other person on the line was a broken man, a friend of mine, who was weeping uncontrollably. He hadn't slept the night before because he was waiting up for his wife to come home. She wouldn't answer the phone, and yet he knew exactly where she was. He had driven by the guy's house that day and saw her car parked there. She was cheating on him. And I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I remember the brokenness that this man was experiencing. I remember the weeping on the phone, and it seemed like nothing that I could possibly say would console him. He wept, he cried, and I just listened. No words. I was silent. There were moments where I tried to, to speak to him, to express some words of encouragement, but I knew that no amount of consolation would soothe his pain. And I remember his words. I just want my wife back. God, I imagine to be feeling this in the book of Hosea. I just imagine God weeping. If, if, if there was someone that he could call and talk to, I just imagine God saying, all I want is my wife back. His own people. You see, they were blessed by God, the Israelites. You remember, they were brought from, 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 from Egypt to, to the promised land, and they, they had been in the promised land for years, and God had blessed them tremendously. They were, they were, they were experiencing and, 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 and drinking the, the milk, and they were, they were tasting the honey, and they, they had tasted the rich fruits of the land, and they were now having been there for several years, and finally, they get to a point where they take, they've taken all the benefits, all the things that God has provided, and God is now out of sight, out of mind. It seemed that Israel had lost all of her bearings. And in this relationship with God, they had thought that they could still maintain a close tie and yet have part of their lives occupied by idol worship. They had bought their expensive cars. They had attended every football game. They had invested in their houses. They had married their wives. They had worked extremely hard, and somehow at the last, they were able to fit God in. They were attending church every Sabbath. They were in the synagogue worshiping, but yet in the week, they were at the parties, the common gatherings of the heathen. They were in those, those gatherings, and, and you, could, you would see them in that, that, that worship service, and you would say, wait, brother, I, I, I know I saw you in the groves yesterday, and I know you were worshiping an idol. But yet still, they, they were keeping themselves in the presence of God, yet all the while hating God. It is possible for that to happen. They had settled with the idea that if ever life was to be enjoyable, they had better have fun now before it's too late, before they get serious about their religion. God was the last person on their agenda. Their schedules were too packed, too many idols to worship, too many resources to manage. God was the last stop on the train ride on life's journey. And whenever God is the last stop on the train ride in life's journey, life is but a train wreck ready to happen. 
for the Israelites, the train wreck was going to be a collision with a nation called Babylon from the north and Assyria. They were going to be plundered, destroyed, captured, and brought to a foreign land. And this implicit trust that they had placed in idols was not going to be sufficient to save them. But yet still, they would not turn around. It's as if the GPS was set and they were saying, this is the path, the journey that we're going to take away from God and not towards him. They were running away. You see, the Israelites were known to worship two kinds of idols in Hosea's day. The first idol was called Molech, known as the god of pleasure. The other god was called Ashtaroth. This was in the days of Uzziah, Ahaz, Ezekiah. You find this in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Molech, the god of all pleasure. The second, Ashtaroth, the god of all sexual desires. You see, they were prone to worshiping everything that would soothe them. Everything that would satisfy their own desires. If one were to go back and take a census, one would realize that the prominent idea was that if it makes you feel good, do it. Others would remind people saying, look, you only live once, YOLO. Enjoy all that you can feel before it's, all that you can before it's too late. And brothers and sisters, friends, family, we are now living in a time when these two gods are still reigning the earth. Ashtaroth and Molech is not stuck in the Israelites' day. It is, those gods are not stuck in Hosea's time. Those gods are here today. For many still worship a god of pleasure. Many still worship a God of sexual desires. The Molech of today, we, we eat for pleasure. We, our country has one of the highest rates of obesity. And we would rather choose the, the unhealthy stuff rather than the healthy stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if it tastes good, if it makes you feel good, and, and healthy food ought to taste good too, don't get me wrong. Now, we don't want to say that the healthy stuff is cardboard. That, that's not appropriate. God designed the healthy stuff to be good. And I am a, a vegan who celebrates being vegan. Amen. I want to be healthy. But that doesn't mean if you're vegetarian, that's wrong. I just want to make sure that's clear. But you see, we live in a day and age where we... Enjoy everything that is pleasurable. We love to take free time to dedicate to the things that we like, and we, our, our football stadiums are full and our churches are empty. Our televisions are running 24 hours a day, but our Bibles are closed except for one day a week. Our bank accounts are full. Our church account is empty. Someone once said, how you spend your money is a demonstration of what's most important to you. You see, we have invested everything 
in the world, but we haven't invested anything into the kingdom of God. The Ashtaroth of today, we, we live in a, a day and age where sexual desire is prominent amongst us. We live in a day when we take pride in all kinds of wrong sexual behaviors and lifestyles. I often wonder why it's called Pride Month. In this day and age, there's way more confusion about sexual identity, gender, dysphoria than ever before. Where for any to stand on biblical grounds is a symbol of hatred, even though you simply are standing on what God is saying. Where it seems to be wrong to say, I am a Christian and this is what I believe. And if you are to simply express those ideas, you are deemed as one who is hating people. But I want to say, I don't hate people. I just love God more than I love people. And God has called me to love people. But God must be first. They say to stick with the biblical idea of marriage between a man and a woman is to suggest that you don't like people. You are stuck in the past. You are not modern. You are just culturally uh, a fool. And, and, and they call us all these different kinds of things. And it seems like the, the, the prominent thing in our society is to, is to join in with what's going on in our culture. And Christians are being caught up with this idea. Brothers and sisters, let us return. Even in church, Abuse cases are on the rise. In our country and in our state, there are sexual prisoners, all because of the lust of a nation. Pornography and its filth is attacking our young people. Our world is going crazy. Ashtaroth and Molech, those gods are still in existence. And so Hosea's message, Hosea's plea is not stuck in the past. Hosea's plea is for us today. If ever there was a time for the church to return to the ideal that God has set for it, that time is now. If ever Christians were to be distinct and distinguishable from the world, that time is now. And if ever there was a time when we ought to draw a line in the sand and say, God and God only, the scriptures and the scriptures only, that time is now. With this dark and dismal backdrop, broken relationships, a broken relationship between Gomer and her husband Hosea, a broken relationship between God and his people, I believe that yet still there is a broken relationship between God and his people today. And God... God's message through his prophet Hosea speaks truth to all of us today. This book needs no introduction. Hosea seems to jump into exactly what his calling was. You see, Amos gave us an introduction as to where he came from. Amos said he was a farmer and God had called him to give a message to the world. Hosea immediately jumps in and describes the condition of his world, of, of his community. And then right then he begins with God's message. Go take a wife of harlotry. 
Hosea's name means salvation. And so even though this book seems to, to present a dismal picture of God and his people where God is pleading, return, return to me, my people, Hosea's name means salvation. And so in God's mercy, in God's justice, and in God's plea, there is this idea of God's willingness and, and desire to save that relationship between him and his people. And indeed, isn't that what God has been doing since sin began? He's been trying to restore a broken relationship. God wants his wife back, his church, his bride. God wants his bride. Hosea describes, and if you turn with me to Hosea chapter 4, he describes the condition of the land, and he says this in, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He says, by swearing... And lying. Verse 2. By swearing and lying. Hosea chapter 4 verse 2. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. It seems that God was describing the news of Hosea's day. And I would say today, brothers and sisters, that this is also describing the condition of our world today. By swearing and lying, bloodshed upon bloodshed. Sad news hit me a couple months back. My nephew had gone to school. And I, I got the phone call from my sister, and we're still trying to make sense of what, what happened. But this was back home, and, and his father had dropped him off, my nephew. And he had left the house that day, and to this day, he cannot be found. Bloodshed. This is the condition of our world. It comes close to home. There are times where you imagine that this wouldn't happen in your family. It wouldn't happen to you. But, but realize that that's the world we're living in. And so, Hosea's message. Having seen who God is, having heard God's message, having understood what was up ahead, Hosea makes a plea that you and I would do well to take heed. The backdrop under which Hosea chapter 6 finds us was given, given in, in the sense that Hosea was now finding himself in a conundrum. Here's the distance between God, and here's the distance between God and his people, and Hosea wants to span this gap, and he realized that God's people needed to do something because God was already willing to do everything. All they needed to do was to return Hosea chapter 6. This text has two imperatives that I want to talk to you about. The first imperative that Hosea speaks about is in verse 1 of chapter 6. The invitation. He says, come and let us return to the Lord. In other words, it is time. And the time is now. 
The invitation is not, it's not a sad invitation. It is to say a, a glad invitation. Let's come. Let us return to the Lord. We have gone too far. This relationship has been broken for too long. Let us return to the Lord. There can be no pride here in Hosea's invitation. For the implication that comes with the words, let us return, is to say that we have walked away. Someone once said that if you feel distance between you and God, ask yourself who moved. It is not the Lord. It is you and I who move. Hosea makes his message plain by saying, let us. That is to include himself in the picture. You see, often we are so good at talking down to people. We're often so good at telling people what to do, but we seldom speak to ourselves. And so this message of repentance was not just for an individual, it was for a nation. It was not just for a nation, it was for a church. And Hosea himself was included in this picture. He says, let us return to the Lord. And so I want to repeat his message. Let us return, including me. Who moved? We're always good, Dwight Moody once said, when it comes to confessing other people's sins. But when there is true repentance, we shall have as much as we can do to look after our own. When we realize how dirty our house is, we don't tend to comment too much on other people's homes. And I often find it funny when you are invited somewhere or you're being given a ride by someone and they say, please pardon the, the mess, and you think about your car. And you realize, have mercy. <laughs> if you know what my car looked like, you would think we're on the beach. But nonetheless, it is important to realize that when it comes to repentance, it ought to be a personal thing. We wait for the church to repent, but brothers and sisters, if we repent individually, the church would be a better place. You see, the, the, the disciples in the book of Acts had waited in the upper room, but I, but, I, but I picture the upper room to be a place of repentance. You see, they, they had prayed, they had pleaded with God. They had brought all the wrongs back together, the broken relationships that were between them and God and the broken relationship between them and their brothers and sisters in church. And they say, you know, I, I've said this about you, and can you please forgive me? You know what, I, I've often, I, I did this this one time, and I know it hurts you, but, but we've never actually talked about it. Can you please forgive me? And when God, when God saw the picture, it was so beautiful, he said, you know what, they deserve the Holy Spirit. I, I can pour out my power on them. They're ready to receive. And I've often thought about the idea when we say, let's pray for the Holy Spirit. We're praying for a power that God is more willing to give than we are willing to give good gifts to our children, then why is he not giving it? We're not ready to receive. And, you so, and so we, we pray about finishing the work. We, we pray about 
getting the Holy Spirit to work in our midst, but yet still in our heart of hearts, we still have things that we need to sort out before we come to the altar. But we haven't sorted it out. So let us return the first imperative of the text. A few years ago, I'd worked a double shift in a nursing home. I, I was a CNA. I had worked for my regular shift from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 11 p.m. at night, and, and someone didn't show up to do the second shift, and so I decided I'm going to do it. So I did uh, not only a 3 to 11, I did an 11 to 7 a.m. in the morning. So I'd worked a very long shift. When I got off, I was so tired. I knew that the bus ride home was very long. You see, I had to take a bus and then the train, and then I had to take another bus. It was a long journey to get home. And it was going to be challenging, but, but I knew I felt tired. And so I, I got on the bus, and, and I felt proud. I, I made it to my next stop without sleeping. And I pulled my pass out and swiped it and went in and, and got on the train and sat down. That's the last thing I remembered. <laughs> I was just that, you know, that one individual with bags in hand just going all over the place on the train. I, I fell asleep. I was rolling on people's shoulders maybe. And, you know, they were probably moving away. Like, what is going on with this young man? And I was fast asleep. I passed my stop. And all the other stops. And the last thing that I remember was the conductor waking me up and saying, young man, where is your stop? I was at the last stop on this train route, hours away from home. Just, just imagine this, right? Hours away from home. And this conductor is saying, young man, we have to turn the train around. <laughs> And go back the other way. There's no other place to go. Do you know where you're going? And I was, you know, still somewhat disoriented and, 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 and uh, in this place I've never been before. And I'm like, after a while, I thought, oh, this is pretty cool, you know. And then I had to ride the train back home. See, I, I had gone the wrong way, and now I needed to return. And so... I stayed on the train and went back, and I, I, I confess to you, I didn't fall asleep again. I was awake for the entire journey, and I got off at my right stop. You see, beloved, sin is hard work. Sin is working the night shift, spending a life in darkness, and after a while, we get so beat up that we simply fall asleep and say, life, take us wherever you want to take us now. And, you know, sometimes Jesus uses people to wake us up out of sleep and say, brother, you need to go back home. You passed your stop. We become, instead of being mastered by circumstances, we master our circumstances. We have for too long done the night shift, the work of darkness, and we need to return home. That is the burden of Hosea's message. Let us return unto the Lord. It is a message of repentance. And the text goes on to say what happens or why should we return? Because the Bible says, for he has torn, but he will heal us. 
He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. There are four he wills in this text. You see, Hosea wanted to make it clear that when it comes to repentance, it is all that we do is return. God does the rest. In other words, God does the healing. There are too many people who are waiting to heal themselves before they return to God. They say, I will not return until I make myself better. You see, that's a fallacy because the leper cannot change his skin. A man cannot fix himself before he goes back to God. He goes to God and God fixes the man. And there's only one physician in Zion. Jesus, the great physician, heals the soul. But the songwriter says, heals the sin-sick soul. And Hosea paints this beautiful picture. He will heal us. He will bind us up. He will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. You see, the Jews believed that once a corpse passes the third day, death is, uh, ultimately, there's no resurrection beyond that point. You see, that's why the story of Lazarus is so powerful. But, but, but notice what Hosea is doing. Hosea is saying God comes in just on time to bring back life to a dead spiritual experience. He will revive us. Beloved, I don't know about you, but I think we need a revival. But before revival, there needs to be repentance. And before we can go into the present, before we can experience the power of God, we must return to God. So let us return. Let us return. Why? Because he will heal us. Because he will bind us up. And, and that is to suggest that God heals. And, and to, to the bind up, that means to, 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 to put cover over the wound. And I just imagine this in the sense that Jesus is so willing to cover up the sore. Jesus is so willing to heal the sore and to, and to clothe us with his righteousness. See, it's complete restoration. This amazing physician. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Hosea says, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. And here is our next imperative in the text. Verse 3. He says, let us do what? No. Let us return, but also let us know. There are too many people who return to the Lord, but they don't seek to know the Lord. There are too many people who return, they repent, but yet still they go back into their old ways of life. They don't continue in that journey with Jesus. Let us know, but then he goes on. Let us pursue the what? Of the Lord. In other words, if this relationship is important to you, you ought to pursue and so Christianity is not idleness. To be a Christian is not to sit back on your sofa and relax and say, God is going to save me. There's something that I need to do in this experience. I need to maintain this relationship with Jesus. And so I need to pray. I need to read his word. I need to share the good news of salvation to those on the outside who want to return, but yet they don't know how. And so, Isaiah 55, verse 7, on page 850, the Bible says, Let the wicked forsake his way, 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It is important, and we ought never to forget, that repentance is not about seeking the absence of sin. It is rather seeking the presence of God. And when the presence of God is in the life of an individual, sin finds no home there. You see, brothers and sisters, it is worth all the effort seeking God. Because God never turns away a soul who longs for him. This broken relationship, in this context, God gives an invitation. Salvation is not out of reach. God has stretched his long hands towards us, ready to pick us up when we fall, ready to accept, heal, and carry us into a better life experience with him. Several years ago, there was a terrible winter storm. A man and his wife were found frozen to death in their car. It was one of those blizzards, and it was just a terrible, terrible storm. They, they were driving, and all of a sudden, they, they got pounded, pummeled with, with snow, and they were stuck, and there they were. When the vehicle was recovered, finally, there was a note that was, that, that was tucked away in the, in the glove compartment, and the note read, I do not want to die this way. Tragically, less than six feet away, was a bus with passengers on it that had heat. And they made it through the night without any challenges at all, only six feet away. I don't want to die this way, but six feet away was salvation. And I feel that as Christians, often that's what happens to us. We say, I don't want to die without Christ, but six feet away, we're not willing to move towards him. Brothers and sisters, let us return. Let us return to the Lord. Let us know the Lord. There's a Chinese proverb that says, those who know how to do a thing do not find the thing difficult to do. Those who find the thing difficult do not know how to do the thing. Is your Christian experience difficult? Do you know the Lord? Our Christian experience is often proven difficult because we just don't know. Too many of us settle for lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Our repentance will forever be incomplete if we return but still not know the Lord nor pursue the knowledge of God. There's a statement that I love in the book Desire of Ages, page 22, which says, To know God is to love him. Full stop. I love that. It is so simple yet so profound. To know God is to love him. In other words, if you don't love God, you don't know who he is. To know God is to love him. We need to return. Now notice what happens lastly 
in the text. Verse 3, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. Now there's an expectation that we have every single day. When we go to bed at night, no matter how late we go, we know that the morning will come. And even if you don't make it through the night, the morning will still be there. In other words, Hosea is saying God can be found. His going forth is established as the morning. In other words, if you are in pursuit of God, you will not be on a wild goose chase. You will find him. The Bible says, search for me with all of your heart. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And here is what we really need, the Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain. We need the latter rain. We, we, we need the latter rain. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? We need the latter rain, beloved, because we lack power. We, we have no power to do anything. The world needs us, but, but, but not only that, we need the latter rain in our own lives. We need the Holy Spirit to, to help us, to, to guide us along the way, to, to convict us of sin, to demonstrate to us what righteousness truly is. We need the latter rain. Most of our Christian experiences are simply deserts, wanting and thirsting for rain. The fruits on the trees have dried up, and we need some rain. Language of a farmer. When we return to the Lord, there is a promise. And the promise is he will pour rain on us. And so Hosea is hasty in his plea. Let us return, but come. In, in, in other words, the time is now. Let us return to the Lord. What is the point of my message as I close? Beloved, there are broken relationships among us. Your relationship with God might be broken as you sit here. Your relationship with someone else that you know might be broken. And there needs to be some mending. I wonder what our world would look like, our church would look like if you were to say, God, forgive me for what I have done in this relationship with you. Or if we were to turn to someone who we have hurt and we say, friend, forgive me. For what I have done to you. And I know that there's sometimes we do things that we're not aware of, but those who know come to me, come to us and say, Friend, you have done this, and let give us the chance to, 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 to plead and ask for your forgiveness and so that we may be healed. There's a text If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, what is the rest of it? and pray, and seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven, and will heal their land. Our land is sick. Our world is sick. And God wants people to return to him. And beloved, if that were to start in our world, it needs to first start in our lives and in our church. Let us return to the Lord. For he has promised to heal us. I am praying for healing. I don't know about you. I am praying for healing this morning. And so I want to appeal to you. 
this is the moment. You, are, you have the chance to return to the Lord. Maybe your relationship with, with the Lord, and, and, and oftentimes when we make appeals, we evaluate, we think. But I want to say to you, if you know that there's something in your relationship with God that needs to go, returning means to surrender that thing and say, Lord, forgive me for having kept it for so long. Give up. Surrender. If you know that there's a relationship that needs to be fixed, give up, surrender, and let us return. It is your time to respond, friends, if you know that there's something that is keeping you back from that relationship with God. You've, you've done something and there needs to be some repentance, some, some, you need to turn to the Lord. Beloved, please stand with me. There, there is that thing that, that's, that, that's keeping, that, that's standing in the way between you and God. Maybe it's a bitter feeling that you have against someone or, or maybe it's something that you've been cherishing. Maybe it's a, an addiction. Maybe, whatever it is that needs to be surrendered, now is the time. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be fixed and you, and you want to say, Lord, I want to surrender that to you. I want you to give me the inspiration to say what is right so that that relationship can be sorted out. Beloved, stand. And, and if you see that in your own life that there's a distance between you and God, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, a distance between you and God, and you know that there's a gap that needs to be bridged. And you want to say, this morning, I want to bridge that gap. This afternoon, rather. I want to bridge that gap. Beloved, please stand. Let us return to the Lord. He is pleading. He is calling us. Now is the time to return to the Lord. And, and I guarantee it, when, when we experience the healing that he provides, we will have a better Christian experience, a better church, a better world. Let us return. I can't wait to see what God wants to do in yours and my life. This message was for me. God really wanted to remind me and you of the importance of Putting first things first. God is often last on our agenda. Why is that? He needs to be first. So, if you lastly realized this week, this month, that you haven't been making God a priority in your life, and you want to say, today, Lord, is the day that I want to change that, I invite you to stand as well. I want you to be the priority, not the last on my agenda, but first. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, you see us, you know us, and we come to you under the plea of Hosea. This plea, realizing that our relationship with you is broken, realizing that it's broken not, not, not because of you, but because of us and what we do. We've taken your resources and we've, we've made them more important than you. And Lord, today we want to return. 
So we ask that you please forgive us. We have done everything else first, and we've put you last for some reason, and we, we, we know what the reason is, and we really want to change that. And so, Father, we return. We want to answer that call that Hosea gave. We pray, please, dear God, heal us. Our wounds are open. Please bind us up. The world, Satan has beat us down, but please revive us and cause us to live in your sight, in your presence. Give us the power to pursue you now, we pray, as you've forgiven us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen. amen.